Corteva AgroScience provides cutting-edge solutions for farmers worldwide. Learn more at Corteva.com. Today on Ag News Daily. Listeners, welcome back to another episode of the podcast, July 11th, 7 Delaney. So Delaney and Tanner here to bring you today's episodes brought to you by Corteva. Well, Delaney, since you're choosing to be in a good mood today, how do you think weather looks? Well, Tanner, I think it looks pretty hot out there. It's going to be hot and we've got storms that come with the heat flash floods and severe thunderstorm warnings are still in effect for west central oklahoma parts of texas storms are moving through the area 30 to 60 mile per hour gusts torrential rainfall we could see as much as three inches of rain and another two on top of that flooding in the area is already occurring we also seen some torrential rains in the northeast vermont has seen some of the highest flood waters that they have ever seen. And Delaney, here in Iowa, we've got chances of thunderstorms and potential hail, and maybe even a tornado or two coming through Iowa this evening. But it's quite an interesting pattern is, if I could describe the swoop of the system, it comes up Montana and Wyoming, comes down through South Dakota, North Dakota, comes right across the dead center of the state of Iowa, and pushes itself through the east and that's going to drive a majority of the storms but we do still have the excessive heat warnings in effect for southern california parts of arizona new mexico texas so make sure that you pay attention to those areas yuma and phoenix could see 111 degrees today yikes that will be quite toasty absolutely well, Tanner, it appears that some of the rain we saw in portions of the Midwest improved crop progress conditions, as Monday's report reflected an improvement by 4%, while soybeans climbed just 1%. As of July 9th, 22% of the corn in the top 18 growing states is silking, slightly ahead of the five-year average. And corn has reached the dose state, dose stage excuse me, across 3% of the country. And according to the USDA, 14% of the corn is freighted poor to very poor, a 1% improvement from last week, 31% in fair condition, and 55% in good to excellent condition. On the soybean side of things, USDA says 39% of the soybeans in top-growing states are blooming, up 24% from the previous week. And USDA rated, again, 15% of soybeans poor to very poor, 15 uh, 34% rated fair and 51% good to excellent conditions. So did see things start to improve there just slightly, Tanner. You're right, just slightly. So it's interesting to continue to watch that, obviously watching the wheat progress as well. But did you know, Delaney, that a thumbs up emoji constitutes a contract? So a case coming out of Saskatchewan says a farmer must follow through with an $82,000 contract for flax which was confirmed via a text message using a thumbs up emoji. Southwest Terminal LTD is a grain purchaser that sent text messages to their farmers wanting to buy flex flax for $17 per bushel delivery in October, November, December of 2022. After phone calls with farmers Bob and Chris Archer, 
the SWT drafted a contract selling 86 metric tons of flax for $17 a bushel to be delivered. The SWT rep signed in the contract and then scanned in and sent a photo of the contract via cell phone to Chris, along with a message saying, please confirm flax contract. Chris responded with a thumbs up emoji. That is it. In November, when the price of flax rose to $41 a bushel, Archer did not deliver his flax. A judge ruled based on the dialogue said that the deal was verbally struck. The judge ruled Archer to OSWT $82,000 plus interest and cost for failing to deliver on that contract. So it puts up a lot of debate now, Delaney, if a thumbs up emoji is different than an okay, a yup, or a looks good. Uh, ultimately, what would this be like if it happened in the US? But careful what emojis you use. That is a wild story, Tanner. Mm -hmm. And too bad it's factual. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does kind of sound like fake news, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it does. Uh, well, here's an interesting piece of news for our listeners on today's Tech Tuesday interview. We are talking about meatless meat or some cell-based meat and what effect it might have on the marketplace as well as the growth it could have. But Per capita meat consumption is expected to drop in wealthier countries, according to a new report by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, as well as the United Food Nation. Uh, despite long-standing trends showing an increase in meat consumption as countries' incomes rise, which is kind of the standard rule of thumb that we'd thought, a shift seems to be occurring, according to a World Agricultural Outlook report in high-income nations like Western Europe and North America, per capita meat consumption is actually predicted to decrease in the coming decades. These nations consulting roughly one-sixth of the global population account for about a third of the total meat consumed worldwide, and they're predicting that poultry will supply 41% of the world's protein in 2032, primarily due to consumers' increasing sensitivity toward animal welfare, environmental practices, health concerns, and the carbon footprint tanner. Yeah, that <clears throat> makes a lot of sense. There's been a couple of articles going around uh, that same general topic but now we've got a potential 50-year supply of phosphate. So we are now looking at a Norwegian phosphate rock discovery that could meet global fertilizer demands. Norg Mining, a Norwegian company, unearthed 70 billion metric tons of phosphate rock, 2.7 miles below the Earth's surface. The company now estimates the discovery would supply the world for 50 years. According to Columbia University, 90% of the world's mined phosphate is used as fertilizer, which our listeners have no surprise to. This venture could change the metrics as far as right now, Morocco supplies 34% of the phosphate rock that is then refined in China, Vietnam, and Norway. But this mining discovery could change that. The 7 billion metric ton rock could be the first ever world's most sustainable mineral industry because they plan to use carbon capture practices to do the mining. So while ag will likely use a majority of the mineral, it will also be used in lithium iron phosphate batteries, in electric vehicles, as well as in solar and chip manufacturing. But a big discovery there that might be what we need to see phosphate prices push down. You know, the USDA recently 
sent out a study that reviewed the last 40 years of consolidation among crop, seed, meatpacking, and retail companies. And some of the results they found were slightly shocking to me. Maybe not so much to others, but we've obviously seen a lot of consolidation in a lot of those industries, especially in the seed sector. In their report, they stated that from 2018 to 2020, just two seed companies accounted for 72% of total planted U.S. corn acres, 66% of U.S. soybean acres. They also found that in 2019, the four largest meat packers accounted for 85% of steer and heifer slaughter and 67% of hog slaughter. I think it'd be interesting to see though, Tanner, here in a few years after we get through some of those USDA grants that encourage small to medium-sized lockers opening, will those results change? But meat packer consolidation in the hog industry nearly doubled from 1980 to 2019. More strikingly, the concentration in the beef industry has also risen quite a bit as well, 36% in 1980 to 85% in 2019. I didn't realize we'd gotten quite so consolidated in the beef industry, and that's kind of what surprised me there, Tanner, a little bit. Yeah, that number didn't was not as it was higher than I had expected, and I had saw a headline yesterday, didn't report on uh, the difference in consumer demand of meats. But it's interesting to see the pounds per people having decreased a little bit. Got some Russia, Ukraine, and NATO updates. NATO leaders have met in their key summit today in Lithuania. The White House and Alliance said that they're planning to send a united and positive signal on Ukraine's path to membership, but declined to give any specific timetables. President Zelensky has stated in his address that the Ukrainian flag is still alive and free to the crowd and the general public, but more Ukrainian missile attacks have been reported on Russian-occupied cities in the southern portion of Ukraine. We continue to keep an eye on progress there. The Ukrainian President Zelensky gave a sharp criticism to the group stating that the potential of extension into the NATO membership is great, but right now the uncertainty over Ukraine's membership is motivation for Russia to continue its terror. Meanwhile, two Russian commanders have been killed in separate incidents, according to Ukrainian officials. The the commanders are appeared to have been assassinated as part of a plot And Russia is targeting grain facilities now in Ukraine's southern port city of Odessa. Overnight, drones hit the region. And that was, again, Delaney, coming just a week before that Black Sea grain deal is set to expire. But that's what I've got for headlines today. Well, I think aside from markets, Tanner, I am out of headlines as well. So where do the markets sit today? Well, Tanner, it looks like as we're here at the midday, uh, a little bit before closing, markets are certainly reacting to yesterday's crop progress report, which doesn't come as any big surprise. And also a mixed reviews as we're trading ahead of this week's WASD report as well. But September corn is up about a quarter of a cent right now, flirting with neutral at 492 and a half. These new crop corn also flirting with neutral, trying to break above the $5 mark here today, midday. In the soybean pits, the August contract up about six and a half cents at 1462, while new crop beans are up about seven and three quarters cents at 1353 and a quarter. 
Hard red winter wheat today in the September contract is up about seven and a half cents at eight sixteen and three quarters. And as we take a look at the livestock, they are certainly trying to push higher today. August live cattle up thirty two and a half cents at a buck seventy seven fifty two. August feeder cattle up forty five cents at two forty six seventy, and August lean hogs up three dollars and seven cents at ninety seven twenty five. Tanner, we are kicking things over to a Tech Tuesday conversation talking about cellular-based meat. At Corteva AgriScience, we believe that when we work together, we grow together. We believe innovative agriculture solutions are found in the lab and in the field, applying real insights from farmers with our global R&D knowledge to create a strong suite of innovations across seed and crop protection. We believe in constantly challenging ourselves on how to bring all of our solutions together, giving farmers the tools to address today's needs and tomorrow's challenges. We believe in what we do because we believe in what farmers do, and together we thrive. Corteva AgriScience, keep growing. Well, listeners, excited to introduce our guest today, and it comes with a spelling test, because if you can spell correctly his last name, you get a prize. Happy to have Paul Mozdiak here, a professor for NC State, to talk to us about a really interesting topic. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thanks, Tanner. It's very nice meeting you. So before we jump into the topic at hand, let's give our listeners a little background as to who Paul is. So my background is that I actually have degrees in animal science dating back to the uh, 1980s. I have a degree in meat science and I have a degree in muscle biology, but I've spent probably about the last 20 to 25 years really working on biotechnology as it relates to muscle. And I've been thinking about lab-grown meat since the early 1990s, but I was never able to have the funding to actually do anything with it until the middle 2010s. Um, So this is something that I've been thinking about and wanting to do for a very long time. And as I've been on that journey in terms of biotechnology, I founded the Cell Culture Teaching Program at NC State. I've worked on biomanufacturing at NC State. I've worked on teaching courses in vaccine production at NC State. So I have a background in animal agriculture. I have a background in meat science and muscle biology, but at the same time, I have a very strong background in biomanufacturing and all of the modalities that are being used to produce lab-grown meat. And it's a subject that I'm very passionate and very excited about as an animal scientist. So Paul, you mentioned that you've really been percolating on this idea of lab-grown meat since the 1990s, but we really haven't seen it come to the marketplace or really been a mainstream discussion point here, maybe within the last decade or so. Why did it take so long for that idea to come to fruition? Well, you know, again, um, funding Um, You know, in the United States, it's very hard to raise funding for lab-grown meat. Now, Mark Post, you know, who really should have all the credit for establishing the space in the Netherlands, was able to raise funding for it in the Netherlands, and he was able to make a very nice media splash in 2013, and that's what really set the space off. Now, there's another company called Modern Meadow that made the first 
lab-grown meat chips somewhere before that, but it wasn't as uh, welcomed by the media as Mark's were. But, you know, it was really what Mark did in the UK in 2013 that really set off um, the space, it set off the interest in venture funding. You know, Mark was lucky to have some support from the Netherlands government to be able to do that work. So if, if the funding has been difficult to obtain up until now, what has shifted to bring it to the headlines at this time? Excellent question. I mean, really what shifted with the funding is the venture capitalists and the people in the VC world have gotten very excited about it. And it's not so much government funding. And again, we can talk about government funding in a minute because there has been some that's been significant. But it's really been the venture capitalists that have been vent that have been investing in all of these companies that have popped up in the last six, seven, or eight years. That's what's really propelled the space forward, not so much academic research. So when you mentioned government funding, have we seen the government investing a lot of resources into this space as well? Well, recently, you know, USDA has given a significant amount of funding to a consortium at Tufts. The NSF has actually given a good grant to, um, you know, again, um, UC Davis, I believe it was the NSF. I mean, there's recently been some government that's been money that's been given by the government for culture meat research, which is fantastic. Um, the GFI has been given money, which is fantastic, which is a private foundation, as well as New Harvest has given money uh, for culture meat, which has been good. But, you know, the government, you know, relative to the money that's been given by the government, if I'm remembering correctly, um, the consortium with Tufts was about $10 million. Um, The money that was given by NSF to UC Davis was less than that. And you know, relatively, um, you know, Upside Foods, you know, announced a $180 million raise in their last raise. I mean, that's what the government's giving is minuscule relative to what venture capitalists are investing into the culture meat space or what they've put into the culture meat space. So now that we see this money flowing into the industry, is that because there's apparent demand or how does the demand side look for the product? Well, I think there is going to be demand for the product. And again, I talk about that in a couple of different ways. I mean, you know, generally when I give seminars, I talk about the overall world demand for meat, the increasing population, and the fact that, you know, by 2050, we're going to have a, mil a billion more people on this planet. And as people become more affluent, there's a taste for meat and the meat and the demand for meat's gonna skyrocket. And you know, the way to look at culture meat is not a replacement for classical animal agriculture, but what it is is an additional way to produce animal protein. So, you know, a lot of it, what's driving the space is really the promise for the future. I mean, we're not there yet to making vats and vats and vats of tons of cultured meat but with time we will get there and then it will add value to the marketplace 
And that's the big question, I think, is the timeline to get there because it's still very expensive to produce and also to purchase. What is the path to getting it at a scalable price that consumers can afford to buy in the grocery store? Well, uh, you know, again, I mean, that's a very nuanced question that like, hey, we're at the place now where just... um, and you know, eat just and upside foods is serving relatively small quantities in restaurants. That's a that's a start in the right direction. Now, how long it's going to take to translate that into grocery store quantities and grocery store amounts, it's going to take some time and it's going to be very difficult to get to that place. For a period of time, it's going to be a premium product. And that's an interesting way to come to the market is driving a premium, creating a almost scarcity-like mindset around that product. What are you most excited, though, about the future of cultured meat? I'm excited about the future of cultured meat for a variety of reasons. I mean, I'm excited about the future of cultured meat from a sustainability standpoint. You know, again, I touched upon it earlier. And that if we have other ways to produce the animal protein, we're going to have a wider variety of products, a wider variety of things. And it's going to aim, it's going to aim to a sustainable food source that is going to influence, you know, worldwide and worldwide meat consumption. You know, it's a technological hurdle that we have to overcome. But, you know, I've said it before, you know, culture meets inevitable. You know, we're going to get there someday. We're going to get there somehow. We're going to get there somewhere. The question is, is how long is it going to take to get there? Fantastic. Paul, are there any other insights in the research that you've done that we've missed that are important for our listeners to be aware of? Uh, No, I mean, basically, you know, the challenges come down to all of the same things everybody's talking about, talked about over and over and over. You know, what cell platform are you going to use? What's going to be the cost of the media? And what are the challenges of of coming to scale? I mean, those are the three important things relative to cultured meat that are the important issues uh, proving it forward and then turning it into an edible, tasty product that people want to buy. So, you know, instead of three things, it's actually four things. Well, Paul, this has been a pleasure. I'm glad that you've got great insight and you're able to answer our questions today. If our listeners have more questions or want to follow your research, what's the best way for them to do that? Send me an email at, um, I believe, Paul underscore Mosiak at ncsu.edu. That's the best way for them to follow up with me. And I'm very good at answering all of my emails. Awesome. Well, thank you again for hanging out with us today and sharing what you know. Fantastic. Thank you. At Corteva AgriScience, we believe that when we work together, we grow together. We believe innovative agriculture solutions are found in the lab and in the field, applying real insights from farmers with our global R&D knowledge to create a strong suite of innovations across seed and crop protection. 
We believe in constantly challenging ourselves on how to bring all of our solutions together, giving farmers the tools to address today's needs and tomorrow's challenges. We believe in what we do because we believe in what farmers do, and together we thrive. Corteva AgriScience, keep growing. Well, there you go, listeners. Not every day do you get to have a conversation with an expert in that field. So thank you very much to Paul for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for hanging out with us as well. What do you say, Delaney, for today? Should we let them go? Let's let them go. 